Lord God, as we come to you, Lord, we can just praise you for who you are, Lord, for this Christmas season, for the reminder, God, of the incredible gift that you give us through the Christ child. And Lord, there's so much, again, that comes with the Christ child. And Lord, as we are, are continuing to work our way through just the Advent season and calendar and looking at all these different attributes that come with your presence in our lives, Lord, we can just praise you for who you are. God, for wanting a relationship with us. God, for bringing um, joy and peace and love and, and hope uh, into our lives, Lord, through the presence of Jesus. And Lord, I uh, pray right now, God, just that you would touch um, all of us here, all of us online. God, that just um, as we come here to worship you, to, to learn from your word, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just fill our hearts, Lord, and fill our minds with you. And God, I, I lift up those that need a special touch from you today. Lord, those uh, that need f- a physical healing touch, Lord, I pray for the power of Jesus' name that you would heal their body. Lord, those that might be struggling mentally, Lord, I pray that you would touch their minds, God, with the power of your presence. Lord, that those might be struggling spiritually, Lord, I pray, God, that they would feel your love. God, that you would just open their hearts and their minds to who you are, God, in your presence. And Lord God, we, we pray, Lord, for those that need financial provision, uh, those that, that need housing or those that need um, a job, Lord, that those that need a specific need, we lift it to you today, Lord. You know what those are. And we pray a special touch on them. And God, this morning as we uh, continue to, to look at the Christmas story, Lord, we come to you with hearts bowed down in worship. Lord, with expecting, ex- expectations of hearing from you as we read your word, Lord, we thank you that these, li- that, that these pages are alive with your spirit. And God, we pray for you to speak to us now as we open your word, as we read and learn and grow. We love you. We praise you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our Christmas series titled The Wonder of Christmas. And, uh, you know, as we, again, have been working through uh, these different aspects of our, of our Advent season, and, and we, we've seen, um, you know, the hope that comes with Christ. We looked at the love that comes with, with the, the Christ child, and now today we are focusing on the wonder of joy. And again, so many times through this Christmas season, we can get caught up in the, in the busyness and the schedules and the extra travel and the meals and the gift buying and gift giving and and all those kinds of things. And yet, again, if we can get distracted even by all of that and and forget about just the wonder of the most incredible gift that we have through the Christ child. And so again, our our goal for this series is just to kind of to pause and and, and look deeper even through the biblical story of that first Christmas. and, And what do we see that Christ truly brings into our lives? So today, like I said, we're focusing on the wonder of joy. Um, uh, again, as we think about that, I, we're going to focus um, today on uh, the part of the Christmas story uh, found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, which is the story of the Magi. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to uh, Matthew chapter 2. If you're with us in person, don't have your own Bible, uh, there are ones provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to grab and use. You'll notice the page numbers included there on where you can find it in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're glad to have you as well. 
You can grab your Bible and follow along or just listen as I read it, but we're going to read, again, these first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 2, where it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this was uh, when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, as we read this story, again, there's some, some things that, that probably... Um, jump out at you. In fact, if we look at that and, and see the, the first thing when we think about the wise men is, is um, what the biblical text tells us as compared to our typical traditional nativity scenes, right? There's a, there's a couple big differences, isn't there? The first off is that they were not there at the manger. We like to put them in the manger scene, but as, even as we see in the text, it says they found him in a house, Right, later with his mother, and again, they were not there on the night when the shepherds were. We saw it last week as we looked at the shepherds right, in that. We also don't even, the text doesn't actually tell us how many of them there were. Right, there might have been one of them. There might have been, I mean, it is a, a, a plural you know, um, description of them, so there was more than one, but, but we don't know that there were three. We just, we put three so that there's one with each gift, right? And so, uh, but we don't really know even how many of them there were. We also don't know where they came from. It just says from eastern lands, right? There's, and these are really kind of pretty mysterious guys, right, as they showed up. Yeah, also, we see that they were not of the Jewish culture. Again, they, they were studied, and we're kind of look at that, right? They, had, they, had, they knew the Jewish scriptures. They knew that a Messiah was foretold, but they hadn't dug, dug real deep, right? Because, in fact, they didn't know even what King Herod didn't even know, right, about where was this Messiah supposed to be born. And so they just went to Jerusalem, and they tried to figure it out. And like I said, they got, they got some help there, right, and, and ended up in Bethlehem. Not only did they get the help from, from the scholars and, and things that Herod brought in and, and found out, but, but they got help from God himself, right? As they left, it says now they, they, then they followed the star, and the follower then directed them, right, to the house where the child was. As we look at all of these things, we, we see right in the middle of the text, it says again, when they saw that star, right, that they were filled with joy. And as we think about joy today, um, again, joy is a word that's truly 
hard to define. In fact, even this week, I, I looked up the, the, um, the, the Greek definition of joy. And, and in fact, it, 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 the Greek definition, right, the, the Webster's definition, the Wikipedia definition, I mean, all of them, they just pull in all these other descriptive words. And, and again, because joy is something that's, that's kind of hard to define. Okay, some of those words, like, it always, all of those definitions include happiness, but it's way beyond happiness. Right? And, and now that's certainly an aspect of it, but, but um, you know, it's way more than that. As I think about happiness, happiness is circumstantial, right? Meaning if, good, if my circumstances are good, I'm happy. If they're not good, I'm sad. Right? And happiness comes and goes with the circumstances around me, right? where joy is not circumstantial. In fact, when we look at the biblical description of joy, in all these different places where we see it, um, that joy has many different emotions that are wrapped into it. Happiness is one of those, but it's not limited to that. As I kind of studied it and sought the Lord this week, I'm like, Lord, what truly is the essence of joy? I, I realized that that joy is really more about a perspective than it is about an emotion. They, they, the reality is that joy, again, can, can and should be found. Right? Where other emotions just come with the circumstances around us. In fact, there are places, lots of places in Scripture where it says to find the joy in the situation. Right, which also means that joy is, is not only a perspective, but joy is also a choice. Right, that I, I can find joy in all kinds of different circumstances, whether they're good ones that bring happiness, or even unfortunate ones or frustrating ones. I can still search for joy, even in those situations. Right, joy, again, is a complex concept. And today, as we look closer at the Wiseman's experience, I hope that we can gain a better understanding of how to truly experience joy this Christmas season. And not just this Christmas season, but, but in, our, in our bigger picture journey with Christ. But how can we find joy? How can we, we um, seek it out even, in no matter what situation we find? Hey, the first thing I want to point out about uh, the Magi and what we learn about joy um, is that there is joy in simply finding Jesus. Right? There is, again, we, we see their role in the story is actually, I mean, pretty simple. <laughs> right? They were educated men. They were astrologers. They were watching the stars. And, and uh, uh, some unnormal phenomenon happened in front of them. Right? In the stars. And they noticed that, and it was, it was significant enough that they say, we need to figure this out. We see in Matthew 2, verses 9 and 10, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Again, this star, this, this astronomical phenomenon that they had observed, right? They, it, it led them. They saw a divine part of the star because now the star wasn't only beautiful and, and, and different, but now it was moving and guiding them, right? And, and it moved to this place. And, and again, the purpose of this star truly was for them to find Jesus. 
a proverbial needle in a haystack, right? And, and as they, you know, sought this out, again, we, like I said, we don't know exactly where they were from, but we know that it just says eastern lands, but we can infer that the journey was a long one. Right, and, and, and the travel at this time, 2,000 plus years ago, was not like travel today. Now, sometimes travel can be hard, even today, but for completely different reasons. Right, we, we struggle with airports and road conditions, right, and, and, or mechanical issues with our vehicle. And, and yet, for them, it was, I mean, a traveling anywhere was a, a big commitment. Right, time-wise, resources, you know, all, um, all of it, right? The journey was long. And yet, their, their purpose of this journey was simply to find Jesus. Right? We want to see what is so significant about this child right, that is represented by this star. The simple truth is that Jesus will bring joy in your life. When you find him, you gain a different perspective. You gain a different perspective on the world. You gain a different perspective about yourself, about your relationships, even about what love is. And we talked about the first one, right? That the only way we can love with the love of God is to receive it first from him. And, and finding Jesus and, and, and having his presence in your life will bring you joy. That is the main way to find joy is to find Jesus. When when we find him, that is when we can find Jesus. And that's exactly what happened for the Magi so long ago. And the reality is this, we can have the same experience today. It is when we find him, we can find the joy that comes with him. And when you think about finding Jesus, and, and again, as, as, as we're here, we, we, hear, we hear the name of Jesus all the time, don't we? Most of the time, it's usually a positive thing. Sometimes it's not. Right? Sometimes we hear the name of Jesus in a way that, that's not honoring to him. Right? And yet, when we, we again, the, the reality is that just when Jesus is, is even just said, again, how love, we talk about how love is such a powerful word. In fact, the name of Jesus isn't even, is a powerful word. And when we hear that name, like I said, it, it brings something into our lives. And, and it, it stirs something in, in us, you know, inside of us. In, in the Gospels, Jesus was, was describing the kingdom of heaven. And this, this is one way he describes it here in Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, he's... Jesus here is describing for us just the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus' presence, right? the power of God in our lives. In fact, when we, uh, if we read this in the NLT, it talks about right, that once he found this treasure, discovered it in the field, in his excitement, says he went and, and changed all these things. Now, the NIV version says, in, in joy. He went and, and sold everything and owned to get enough to buy the field. Again, what, what is Jesus telling us? He's like, hey, even if you, you can hear about Jesus, but when you truly find him, it is worth giving up everything in your life to get his presence. 
that everything else comes, you know, it just is by the wayside once you have the joy of Jesus and the presence of him in your life. Once you discover the power of that, are you saying that it's worth selling everything? It's worth giving everything else up and putting Jesus at the forefront of your life. Right? Because when you do that, talk about a perspective change. Right? Talk about a different choice in our life. And again, Jesus here and many other places says that it is worth to give up everything else in your life. Nothing else matters once you find Jesus and you put him first. It's worth that. Because there's joy when we find him. And we see, again, the, when you think not just about you know, um, putting everything in front, but again, what am I willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Right? What, am I, what am I giving up to follow Jesus? Again, in, in this brief description, Jesus told us he sold everything he owned and put Jesus in front of it. Right, what, what are we willing to, to give up, to sacrifice, right, to put Jesus at that place in our heart? And again, when we can do that, hey, there's, there's not only the joy that comes into us, there's, there's um, this kind of very pretty famous section in Luke chapter 15 where, where Jesus gives us three different parables about lost stuff. Hey, he talks about lost sheep, lost coins, and then probably the most famous of the three is the lost son. And when we see, look at this, and, and when Jesus, again, is describing the kingdom of heaven about, about God's presence in our lives, about the gospel message, we see in Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and verses 10, these are, are the, the, the concluding verses of the first two, of the lost sheep and of the lost coin. And again, it says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And then in just a few verses later, the conclusion of, the, of a, the, the second parable, right, about the lost coin, it says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, when we find Jesus, it not only brings joy into our lives, but it, it, it not only you know, spreads that joy even to people around us who don't know Jesus and recognize something different. But think about this, the heavens themselves find joy in you finding Jesus and you surrendering your heart to him. Think about the, the ramifications of that. I think about the power that Jesus holds for that to be true. Right? How how even the angels, the heavenly realms, right? There is a party in heaven full of joy when one sinner finds Jesus. Right? And as, as we see this, right, the, the, the beautiful thing about joy, right, is that it's not a hollow emotion, right? It's way bigger than emotions. It doesn't just bring a good time with it. It brings all kinds of things with it. It brings hope, right? It brings God's love. I mean, it, it brings God's presence. And just like those magi so long ago, we are all are on a journey in life looking for something of significance. Right? In fact, there's, there's a part of our hearts that long for joy. Just like we long for love, just like we, we long for identity, just like we long ultimately for God. But again, that's a part of who God is, is the joy that comes with his presence. 
Again, we, we, may, we may not be following a star, but we all spend years of our lives searching for something or someone that will bring fulfillment and joy. And again, I want to just, if you hear nothing else today, I just want you to hear that what you are searching for is Jesus. That his presence is what can bring a joy in your life that, that you can't find anywhere else. The reality is, right, that that search will never truly end until it ends up at Jesus. Until it ends up at the foot of his cross. And when you think about your journey, right, where is your journey headed? Is it headed to Jesus? Or is it headed to somewhere else? And and if if, if you know Jesus, if you've asked him into your life, you prayed and, and accepted him and received his love and his forgiveness and the joy that comes with that, I, I would just want to say is that, that that's where that, the new journey starts. Okay, and that's where we start to ask the deeper question about do I, do I know Jesus? Right? How much do I know him? How deep a relationship do I have with him? Because there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and really knowing, like relationally knowing Jesus. There's a big difference. And again, the, the point of our faith, right, the, the goal of Christianity is, is not religion. It is not even getting to heaven, right? The, it is about a relationship with God himself. Now, heaven's a big fringe benefit to that relationship, right? but it's not the goal of our faith. Right, the goal of our faith is to know Jesus and to be transformed to be more like him every day. To walk with him every day. Again, to enjoy the, the joy of his kingdom now, not just in the future. If you truly know the truth of who Jesus is, then you, you have found that unmatchable joy that comes with finding Jesus. The other thing that we learn about joy from the Magi and from this story is that there is not only joy in finding Jesus and knowing him, but there is joy in worshiping Jesus. Hey, there's joy in worshiping Jesus. We, we see, again, in, in Matthew 2.11, once they finally found him, right, they got to the house and they, they found Mary and the child. Uh, we see in, in the first part of verse 11, it says, they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. Okay, once they found him, right, their, 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 their next act, right, after finding him was to worship. Now, as we, as we look at this, again, God created us, and God created us to worship. God created us to worship something. In fact, I would say every person worships something. Okay, now, we might not rec- call it worship, but the reality is we all worship something. And, and again, as I sit back and think about worship and think about all the aspects of it and what it means, and, and through that, I, I realize, right, there's a reason why literally the first two of the Ten Commandments are about worship. Right? And it calls out idols. And, and again, I think that is, is so relevant, as much relevant today in our world in 2023 as it ever has been. And, and we were created to worship, and there is joy when we worship the the. the the God that is worthy of our worship. And worship is, is again, way bigger than, than music. It's way bigger than, than coming to church, right? It's, worship is truly supposed to be a lifestyle. 
In fact, everything we do in our lives can and should be an act of worship towards our God. Now, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, right, magi were, were trusted advisors to kings. They, they were studied men. They were proficient in, in all kinds of different, um, you know, uh, different areas of knowledge. They, they would study mathematical calculations, astronomy, medicine, fortune-telling, dream interpretation, history, um, practitioners of magic and paranormal arts. Uh, I mean, the, the list, they, they studied a lot. They, they were kind of, um, kind of jacks of all trade in, in, in a lot of ways. In fact, we see in the Bible as far back um, as 604 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar su- summons, right, in the book of Daniel, he summons the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to try to figure out what his dreams meant. Okay, these were magi. And we see this happen, you know, all throughout the, the biblical history. And I bring that up to say is that these men, when they show up here, um, when they show up to King Herod, even when they show up um, to the house with, with Jesus, they know how to act in the presence of a king. They have been in the presence of royalty a lot. And yet they come to the house where Jesus is. And again, how do they act? They bow down and they worship. Because not only is this kid, as they said in the text, right? They're like, there's this new king and we want to see him, right? Which is why Herod gets all offended and like, and upset, right? Because he feels threatened. Like, wait a minute, I'm the king. I don't want another king to be here. And so, but again, they, they get into the presence of the king. Now, no, and and they, they're, they're, they are drawn to worship. Again, there's, we see, again, exactly like kind of the heart of worship um, kind of in Psalms 145. This is a Psalm of David, who was a king himself, right? And yet one of the significant things about King David was that he realized that he wasn't the ultimate king. And, and one of the things we learn from David is, is in so many different ways of what true worship really looks like. In Psalms 145, verses 3 through 7, this Psalm of David he says, great is the Lord, and he is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim his power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Again, this is just this one little snippet, right, of, of, of the way that, that this, arguably one of the best kings in, in, our, in the history of the world, right, worships the true king of kings. And, and yet, as we, as we see, even fast forward into the New Testament, right, into, into Paul's letter in Philippians 4.4, 4, where he points out, he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice, right? Like, like, it, it, it should, we should be so full of God's presence and the joy that comes with that that we can't hold it in. Right? That we have to just shout out in praise and rejoice. As we think about worship, right, there, I'll tell you, is after our Christmas season, okay, that as we start off January, and again, we're, we're all going to, you know, we're all ready to make new commitments, right, in the new year, aren't we? Okay, but as we start off the new year, we are starting off with a message series titled A Life of Worship. 
Okay, and we're going to dive deeper into this whole concept of what true worship is and how every, different areas of our life right, will come out as worship. And so, uh, again, that's what we'll be uh, you know, looking forward to as we start off the new year. Um, and if you're just curious, you want a little preview of that, and just go home and read Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's going to be our theme verse for that series. Because in that verse, it says, this is truly the way to worship him. So we're going we're to dive into that. As we see, again, the, the, there's joy in just knowing Jesus. There's, there's joy in worshiping Jesus. Okay, the next thing that we learn from the Magi is that there's joy in giving to Jesus. Okay, we, we see, you know, this is probably the most familiar part of the story with these Magi. Right? Again, not only do they bow down and worship him, but then the next thing they do after that, as we see in the second part of verse 11, says, then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, like I said, we, we see these gifts. That's kind of where we, we typically think that there were three of them. We don't really know if there were three of them, right? But there are specifically three gifts. Now, these gifts that they gave them are significant. These are, are very standard gifts to honor a king or a deity in the ancient world. Okay, gold was a precious metal, frankincense as perfume or incense, and myrrh as anointing oil. Hey, these, again, are, are things that, like I said, these, these, these guys, they knew what it meant to be in the presence of a king. Hey, they brought these things. In fact, we see in the book of Isaiah, when it's describing uh, Jerusalem's glorious restoration, uh, it tells of nations and kings who will come, and it says in that text, in chapter 60, it says they will bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Hey, these were kind of standard gifts for royalty and for deity in this time. However, um, we can see as we dig deeper into this, many, many scholars right, and, and biblical um, study have, have shown that, that these three gifts were likely chosen for, for very special spiritual reasons as well, not just standard gifts for a king. Hey, but they are, have symbolism about Jesus himself. Again, like we said, these men have studied. They, they knew what the Messiah was supposed to do. And we see, again, that gold represents his kingship, right? And the, 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 the value um, that comes with the presence of Jesus. Frankincense is a symbol of his priestly role, right? That he comes to bring God into the world. And then myrrh was foreshadowing his death, because myrrh was commonly used to embalm bodies. Right, we see, again, there's layers of meaning here in these gifts. And, and as they come giving to Jesus, right, that they come in generosity. It's interesting that we see, again, in the text, we don't know what happens with these gifts after, after they leave. And yet, these were incredibly valuable things in this time. Many, again, as we fill in the holes and kind of figure out what happened, many scholars believe that that Mary and Joseph literally lived off the proceeds of these gifts while they were in Egypt. Okay, they were that valuable. Okay, and, and, but as we see this, right, they gave an incredible generosity to Jesus and to his family. And we see, again, we fast forward into the New Testament as we, we see, again, the joy that can come with giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, 
and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Again, part of the big tradition of Christmas, right, is gift giving. Again, the Magi, we see that comes that ultimately, the, as we looked the very first week, right, the ultimate gift of Christmas is the Christ child himself, right? That God leads the way in giving. In fact, we serve an incredibly generous God. And as we think about the joy that can come with, um, you know, with giving, we know, right, the old cliche adage, right, that it's better to give than receive, even though most kids don't think that's true. Right, but as, as we think about that, again, where does that come from? It comes out of the, truthfully, the truths of Scripture. I think as we look at these words, right, don't overlook the words in this, um, you know, in this verse that says that God loves a person who gives cheerfully or loves a cheerful giver. These men who had traveled hundreds of miles to find a new king, they were not required to give him anything. And yet they came and chose to do this out of, out of their hearts, right? Out of their own um, generosity. They gave out of the joy that they found when they find finding Jesus and realizing, again, all the ramifications of this Christ child and how he could truly change everything. You know, and, and we can probably infer that they didn't even really comprehend exactly who they had found. They knew he was special. They knew he was significant. Right? But again, the reality, most of us, right, when we find Jesus, we have no idea the joy he can actually bring in our lives. If we fully surrender to him, if we go deeper into that, that relationship with Jesus. Just like love, we are able to give because God has given first. Right? We follow his example of generosity. Generosity is a character trait of God. And he is incredibly generous to us, to all of humans. It's so easily in our world, and I think it's something that I've kind of been challenged on lately, um, is, is, is the idea of having a generosity mindset right, versus a scarcity mindset. In fact, so many times, and especially in the American church, as we see the church is declining, right, and we see our cultures moving further and further away from, from God. And, and with that, like the, the, the temptation we have, even as believers, is to just hold tightly onto everything we have. Right? We, if we feel unsure about where things are headed. And, and yet God continues to say, no, give generously. Right? In fact, especially with the gospel, right? And with the truth of who he is. And as, as our world and our culture moves further and further away from God, we are called, again, as followers of Jesus, to give generously, especially the knowledge we have of Jesus. Right, that, that we, um, again, need to have a generosity mindset right, of knowing that, like, you know what? God is my provider. God is the source of everything I need and, and, and everything I can give in my life. Right? And so I can do life with open hands as God's presence and his love and even, even assets in my life come from God and flow through me to fulfill everything that he's called me to do in this world. Right? And, and again, are we living life? Are we finding joy? Because we find joy, again, with a generosity mindset versus a, scar a scarcity mindset. 
And the last thing I want to point out this morning as we think about the joy that, that, that comes with Christ, the joy, what we learn about joy from the Magi, is that there is joy in obedience to God's direction. Hey, there is joy in, in just doing what God tells us to do. Right? And not only you know, having his presence, hearing his voice, but then following through right, with what he tells us to do. We see, uh, again, in the conclusion of the Magi's part of the story in Matthew 2.12, it says that when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Again, we see here where they were, they were obedient to God, not to King Herod, because King Herod gave them very specific instructions. Right? King Herod said, hey, this is where I want you to go find him, and by the way, come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him too, which was a bold-faced lie. They, and again, they listened to God's direction, right? And they were obedient to what God told them to do. Okay? Because we see Herod's true intentions. In fact, we see the story, right? That's why even Mary and Joseph snatch up Jesus and leave and have to go to Egypt, right? Because Herod's true intentions come out. The truth always comes out. Okay? And his true intentions was that he wanted to find where this baby was so that he could get rid of him. In fact, we see that, um, again, that that's why they left with Jesus, right? And left be so that, so that he wasn't killed. I mean, Herod literally killed every kid two years and under in Bethlehem. Right? Which, again, I think gives us a picture of the timeline, right? About how long it took these Magi to get there. Right? Because, again, what did Herod ask them? He says, when did you first see the star? Right? And, and so you think it was somewhere around, it took them, you know, a year and a half to get there. Right, and we see their dedication right, and, and their, their commitment to following through. And then we see that they ended well right, because they listened to God and they were obedient to him. And I tell you, in our world today, it is so hard to know who you can trust. Right? I mean, every phone call, right, every email, right, even every advertisement online, you're always like, is this a scam? Right? Right? Like, it's so hard to know who to trust. And yet we see that we can always trust the voice of God. Right? To know and be obedient to what he calls us to do. In John 15, verses 10 and 11, it says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Again, right, He's saying, again, he said, follow, do what I tell you to do. Right, and again, Jesus leads us, leads the way in that, right? As he says, I have done what the Father's told me to do. And again, he, he testifies, right, to, to the joy that he has because of his obedience and his surrender to the Father and to, to the mission that God had sent him on as the Messiah. And he says, if you, you know, follow that example, if you are obedient and do the things that I'm showing you to do and telling you to do, you, not only will you find joy, but you will have more joy than you can keep. Right? I mean, circle the word overflow. Right? As followers of Jesus, we should be spewing out joy, right, onto everybody that comes around us. I mean, is that, is that your reputation? It should be our reputation as followers of Jesus, right? If you get around that person, you're going to get some joy on you, right? 
Is that, is that our refuge? It's not, unfortunately. Is it? But think, think about that. Again, the, the joy that comes with obedience. Again, it's, it's easy to be obedient and find joy when everything is going well. Right? But what, what about finding joy when things aren't going well? Well, James, again, points us to that in James 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, and so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. But even when things are not going well, even in the middle of troubles, when they come your way, again, it is an opportunity for joy. And once again, it's something that you have to seek and that it's something right, that you find. And you can find joy in every situation. Right? When we think about joy, again, it's way more than an emotion. It's way more than happiness. Right? It's something that we seek, that we, that we search for, right? that we can find ultimately in the person of Jesus. And it's something that God wants to bring into your life. Again, through the series, we've been watching these short videos that give us a different perspective. Um, so here, we're going to think about this. Of Again, where's my, joy, where's my joy coming from? Where is my journey leading me as we watch this short clip? Do you remember your first trip to the planetarium? Probably with your third grade class. More excited to leave school than actually learn anything about science. You know who you were. You find your seat, impatiently waiting for the show to start, ignoring the withering look of your teacher. And then... Wow. Incredible. How can we be so small but so special? That is, I believe, how the wise men must have felt. These magi got quite the star show themselves, except it was just one star. One bright, magnificent, piercing, brilliant ball of fire. And boy, did they bet a lot on that star. But just like the one they were traveling to see, this star stood out as something special. This one beckoned, follow me. And what a payoff. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they asked, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And it got me thinking, is worship a little different the harder the journey to get there? Struggling along the road with others? The type of trip that tests your faith and breaks your back? What's that worship like? I can't speak for the wise men. Maybe they shouted hallelujah, or they knelt in quiet reverence. We've all walked our own difficult journeys. And when we got to the other side, we all felt it. The joy we had to fight for tasted just a bit sweeter. And for that bright morning star, the one that caught you in awe when you saw it, well, what else can you do but rejoice when you realize that the journey was always leading you to Jesus.
Again, what joy can you find when you realize that the journey has been always leading you to Jesus? The source of true joy. Just as the wise men were led on their journey by a bright and shining star that moved them to Jesus, God uses different moments in your life to help guide you to a place where you are meant to meet the Savior of the world. Regardless of where you've been on your journey or how you have arrived at where you are today, God has a history of using different situations, different people, and circumstances at just the right time to get us to see how the stars have aligned to get you to the foot of the cross of Jesus. There is no joy in this world like the joy that is found in and through Jesus. Like we said, joy, just like Jesus, has to be found and accepted. Right, where, where are you at in your journey today? Where is your journey taking you? Have you joined the journey of faith? Are you moving closer to Jesus every day? Again, if you're here today, if you're watching online, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and let him into your life, have you ever sacrificed, like sold everything and bought that field? then that's the next step of your journey, right? That starts a new journey. If you pray and ask him into your life and receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and experience his love and his joy for the first time. That's the next step of your journey if you've never done that. If you have, the question is, where's your journey taking you now? Right? If you join the journey, are you in the journey? Are you taking the step? Are you being obedient to what God's telling you to do? Right? As you are transformed by his spirit every day, what is the destination of your journey? Because as followers of Jesus, we declare together that our destination is Jesus, to be more like him every day. And I hope that you'll take a step forward in that journey today. Which leads me to my final thought, and that is this. It comes out of a verse we looked at last week, right? The core of the Christmas story, Luke 10, or 2, 10, and 11. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. It will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Again, is Jesus your king? Is he on the throne of your life? Have you sold everything and gotten that field? What have you sacrificed for him today? What's the next step of your journey? Right, how do you need to choose joy today? Lord God, we praise you today for your unspeakable joy. God, we thank you for all that the Christ child brings in our lives. And Lord, as we go this week, Lord, we ask and pray that your presence would be with us. God, that as we find you every morning, God, as we walk with you every day, Lord, that your love and your, your hope and your joy would just overflow out of our lives. God, it would spill out around us. God, that the world would see you through us this week, through this Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. God, for the opportunity we have to, to walk with you every day. God, and for the opportunity to share you with those that don't know you. God, as we go this week with the joy of the Lord, we pray that you would use us for your kingdom. God, that you would walk with us, Lord, and continue to guide and lead us. Lord, as we bring you glory with every choice, with every conversation, with every decision, with every day at work, with, with every, every menial task, Lord, we just 
praise you through it all. Lord, help us to find your joy in every moment this week. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.